Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. The final verse in our hymn that captures the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, as well as a lot of its explanation, uh, says this. Amen, that is, so shall it be. Make strong our faith in you that we may doubt not, but with trust believe that what we ask we shall receive. Thus, in your name and at your word, we say, Amen, O hear us, Lord. Amen means, yes, yes, it shall be so. It is the declaration of faith that the Christian says when they hear a word of truth, when they confidently believe that what has been said is the truth and that it shall be accomplished by the will of God. Notice that in that last verse of this hymn, the focus is not on whether or not the Father will accomplish it, but whether or not we believe it. That's our problem. Make strong our faith in you. In fact, the entirety of the Word of God and the Scriptures testify to the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever, the long-suffering of our God who puts up with us, having time and time again failed, and yet still provides. The God who makes it rain on the just and the unjust, still providing life and sustenance for this earth in order that life may still live, flourish, survive. That we may doubt not, but with trust believe. When we think about prayer and the times in which we pray, most of it, I might wager a bet, is when we are not so confident. When we think that there is not a whole lot going our way. We pray at our weakest. We pray when we are in need. It's like praying on an empty stomach. You're hungry and you're just asking that this fill you up and satisfy your hungry heart. And so you pray to God out of your poverty. It's interesting that that is, in my experience, where a lot of people end up praying that may not have ever prayed before. Praying out of a spiritual poverty rather than an abundance and confidence. And so I would imagine that if I asked a number of people if they think that God will answer their prayers, they'll say, well, probably not, but I prayed anyway. That's the problem with the Christian's approach to prayer that is not instructed by the Word of God. I've used this example before, but I think it's very fitting. If you go to the grocery store on an empty stomach, you're bound to not buy what is good, but buy just what is there going to quickly meet your desire. And you forget about the sustenance that you actually need to bring home. And so you buy the quickest thing, the thing that will satisfy your appetite the fastest. It's not good for you, you know that, but it looks good. If you examine the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, you will see 
that in those seven petitions, there is only one petition that really deals with your physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, that's not a simple petition. It covers all of your needs, everything that you need in this life to take care of your body and soul. Food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, a good government, good weather, good friends, good reputation, and the like. It's all covered within that petition. But what about the other six? What are those dealing with? tell you, they deal with our spiritual needs. One petition for our physical, the other six for our spiritual. Is that what your prayer life looks like? If you had to add up the prayers for that which is physical versus that which is spiritual, are they in about the same proportion? Judging by the looks on your faces, I would wager not. We care about what we are hungry for. When we're starving in a world when it seems like the possessions aren't necessarily what we want them to be or things are being taken away, inflation is seeming to rob what little we did have and here we can't get around because gas prices are now reaching $5 a gallon. Oh dear Lord, save us from this spiritual or this, excuse me, physical poverty. It's interesting how the Christian is turned towards the physical because that's what they feel. That's what they are enduring. That's what they are suffering. And the last words that Jesus gave in this section read for you today was, Take heart. In this world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. But the spiritual is what we need most. The body is going to suffer We may not have an abundance, but we will always have enough. The Lord said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Father knows your physical needs. He knows how to clothe you, how to feed you, how to care for your bodies. Even you know how to do that. You know what is needed. But you must be taught what you need for your spirit and for your soul. That is something you cannot handle on your own. That is something that the world is very much lacking in knowledge and wisdom. The Christian is taught to pray, is taught to turn not just to God in prayer for the physical things, which we may think are these grandiose prayers, but to pray for that which is somewhat lacking in our lives, a spiritual discipline. Pray that we become familiar with the scriptures, a prayer that God protect us from the attacks of the evil one, a prayer that we not be led into temptation and to sin, a prayer that God fills us up with the confidence in faith, because without confidence in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are turned to despair and hopelessness. We must be taught how to pray. The disciples asked our Lord, O oh Lord, how do we pray? Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and there the Lord gave them the prayer that we pray each week, and hopefully in your own lives daily. 
that you pray the Our Father. This prayer is special. It's a prayer given to God's children. And how have you become God's children? Through the waters of holy baptism. God has washed you and made you clean. He has given you a new heart and a new life. He has brought you into his family and he said to you who were once far off in the sins under the kingdom of the devil, he has said of you, you are my child. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. Call me your father. Ask of me anything and I shall give it to you. It's a beautiful gift that God tenderly invites us to call upon him, to have confidence to approach him as a father who is loving and giving. We don't look at going to the father, as I said last week, as something torturous. We don't look at it as being something as though the Christian must approach the throne of wrath. The Christian is called to go to God, approach the throne of grace. For our God has had this unconditional love upon us. Jesus said, ask the Father anything in my name and he will give it to you. And so we pray in the name of Christ, who is our mediator, the one who came to earth to suffer and die in our place, to become our salvation. We pray in his name because he has merited all things for us. By his good works, by his obedience unto death and the cross, we have liberty, we have freedom. And Jesus teaches us how to pray, to pray for the things that we need most, which is confidence and trust in God, that will not come overnight. Your faith, it grows by coming to know what Jesus has done, by coming to see God's work in the history of the world. As you begin in Genesis and work your way through the Old Testament, you see Christ in the Old Testament. You see the promise of the Messiah coming to fulfillment. You see how the Lord works through sinful and wicked men to bring about the salvation of his people. You see how it did not depend on whether man was faithful, but it always depended upon the faithfulness of God to deliver his promise. And then you see that deliverance when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and grew up, and then he died and rose again. And then he left his church, not entirely leaving them, he left to them a promise. He changed our lives by giving to us a hope that is beyond what this world could ever provide for us. You heard it just a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit will come and he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. I tell you that all that the Father has is mine and the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. There is nothing that you shall lack. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, God of our salvation, is the God who will provide for you. 
If you have read the large catechism, and if you haven't, I encourage you take it up maybe this week. Begin. Start maybe in the Lord's Prayer. I want to read to you a little bit from Luther, what he said. He said, therefore, we must consider and take up those weapons which Christians must be armed in order to stand against the devil. For what do you think has hereto accomplished such great things, has checked or quelled the council's purposes, murder and riots of our enemies, whereby the devil thought to crush us together with the gospel, except that the prayer of a few godly men intervened like a wall of iron on our side. And he should else have witnessed a far different tragedy, namely how the devil would have destroyed all Germany in its own blood. But now they may confidently deride it and make a mock of it. However, we shall nevertheless be a match both for themselves and the devil by prayer alone, if only we persevere diligently and not become slack. For whenever a godly Christian prays, Dear Father, let thy will be done, God speaks from on high and says, Yes, dear child, it shall be so, in spite of the devil and all the world. Christian must be armed to take stand against the devil and the evil one. He takes his stand by being enriched by the holy word, the plain words of scripture. And then he confidently takes a stand in this world for what is truth, what is good, what is right. And he takes a stand against all evil and all forms of evil and all wickedness of the devil and those who serve him. He takes a stand knowing what God has accomplished already and what he has promised to accomplish. And the Christian prays, believing and not doubting that the Lord, in accomplishing his will, will put an end to every work and way of the devil. For the will of God is accomplished when the Father breaks and hinders every plan and work of the devil, of the evil one. Dear Christian, I encourage you in your life, not only to pray for what is physical and your physical needs. Do so, that's good and right. Pray for even the smallest of things, if that be what troubles you the day. For your father has even counted the number of hairs on your head, and little, if any, person on this world has ever done such a task. Pray for whatever is concerning you in the present time. But do not let those prayers overshadow what is spiritual, what is needed for you to have confidence in the God of your salvation and the deliverance from this veil of tears. Do not let those things overshadow your prayer that God grant to you a blessed end, that he take you from this life and bring you into the life that is to come. Because Jesus speaks of a day that is yet to arrive. The day when you shall ask nothing. Could any of us imagine that day? A day when we won't have to ask for anything. 
Because now it seems like every day we are required to ask of something. But that day we shall ask of nothing, for all shall be given. The day when the new creation dawns upon us will be the day that the Lord shall reveal all good things to us, and nothing shall take them away. You shall work and you shall enjoy all the spoils of your work. You shall rejoice with all the saints before God. You shall be merry for all of your days. And there will be not one desire in your heart because the Lord will have provided them all. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.